Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, this is Series 14, Episode 2. Uh, and we're sort of back to normal tonight, or as normal as this show ever gets. I promised on Twitter, on Artspectertainment, uh, two hours of good news, positivity and enthusiasm. Uh, so no politics tonight. And... Uh, <laughs> But in the spirit of that, I'm going to have to break my promise immediately because we don't have all good news. Jeremy Shaw can't join us tonight. He's not very well and he's lost his voice. Um, so Shea Adam will uh, take on the mantle of our uh, IndyCar representative tonight and uh, she'll be speaking to us in the second half of tonight's programme and we'll have a, a big lump of the programme that is involved with us racing but there's a lot of sports card news uh, on the show tonight and on a packed show tim gray up in london we have what uh, we have all the usual features uh, and can i just be the last <laughs> See, that's person a, that's i'm sorry you've broken you've broken another election promise there immediately that's the, it might be the manifesto but i bet we haven't got all the 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 usual features can i be the very last person to wish you a happy new year no i, I bet you're not actually I bet you, but you weren't on the show last week, so Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year, listener. Yeah, all every listener. Uh, fantastic. Uh, so I've already given away Shea Adam on the show tonight. We've got a, a couple of guests as yes. well. Uh, we have uh, John Doonan from Mazda. Oh, right, good, very good. Yes. Uh, talking about Mazda things. Uh, we have a as very special uh, Asian Le Mans series guest. Uh, talking not about Asia. Works, well, uh, he will well, talk about Asia as well. I'm sure but... he will talk about Asia. Yes, that's the managing director of the Asian Le Mans series, Cyril Tashvalen, uh, who will be with us tonight for our big interview, which is just after nine o'clock. And uh, that's one of our that, usual features. That, that no, no, that's fair comment and well presented. Um, shall I do a bit of, a, a bit of housekeeping before yes. we crack on? Because this is another of our usual features. Yes, okay. Uh, Jet is uh, not listening tonight, saving the podcast for his walk tomorrow. Eric Offerdale, apologies for presence today. Too many favours called in to get a Wednesday off work. Uh, so uh, time for some mockery and general nonsense, he says. Okay. Uh, Woolly says, I'm on parade. Crotch belt. Yeah, baby. Turn me... Uh, give me news. Tune in. Loud and proud. No apologies for actions. Uh, currently on a juice cleanse for Daytona Prep. 
really. Uh, David Chubrews is checking in. Looking forward to it. He's live. Good evening, Collective, he says. Uh, uh, right turn lover listening live. Mobile connection permitting uh, on the train. But there's a couple of tunnels, apparently. Uh, uh, Chris Suku, January. Uh, sorry. Chris says, it's January, so naturally there's nothing to see here except a whole bunch of shh where he is. Uh, no apologies for absence from Chris tonight. He's looking forward to the show. Uh, Rob Jenner, though, is uh, ha- adding his apologies to absence as a point of order. He says, but I'm looking forward to the podcast already. A huge thank you to the whole team for the Dubai 24-hour coverage. It was excellent. It was a good race, wasn't it? And we'll have a little chat about that later on. And thank you very much to our studio team, Rob uh, and Tim and also Kerry, who worked very hard at the weekend. Uh, Keke Murray says, no AFAs tonight for me. I'm a captive audience in a post-surgical cast, so I can't even wander away uh, from my listening device. Foot surgery tidily scheduled so that my recovery is in time for St. Pete's Indy and the Super Sebring. Bring on 2019. It's here. Alexander Auckland says, evening all, listening in live this evening after an unctuous, good word, spaghetti bolognese and a couple of glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, I know, that's a skill night, yes, but you'll be fine. Uh, Saturday morning at work is when Chris Smith will be listening to the podcast. Happy Saturday morning, Chris. Sorry you can't be with us tonight. Uh, And Cliff Norris is listening in as well, uh, as well as, let me see. Oh, no, Christopher Matthews isn't working this afternoon. Um, Recording the show on my tuning app, and I'll be listening in uh, later on. Uh, so there we go. Uh, Ad Specutainment is where you want to be if you're going to tweet in tonight. It is Series 14, Episode 2, the first of the uh, set, the first, first of the 14th series that Tim has been involved with. Uh, and Tim, where would you like to go first? Uh, well, should we uh, say Happy New Year to Nick Damon? Oh, hang on. Happy New Year, Tim. There we go. Sorry, I was a bit tardy with the... Uh, First finger of my left hand there to fade Nick up, but I think you just about got it. Happy New Year, Nick. We've done this weeks ago. Yes, I know, but I Tim hadn't. likes to do it, and I don't like to let I him know, the last I word. know, Tim. Tim loves a good New Year message. And and that is another one of our usual features at it this is, time of the as year. Is Nick fairness. Damon being on the show. Uh, let's play the news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Right, where are we starting? Where are you taking us? I, I, every week for the last 14 series, and as somebody pointed out uh, when we were doing a little bit of addition, uh, I think the first series spanned a couple of years, so it's more than 14 years. I have asked this question, where are you taking us? And I do it with fear and trepidation every time because it could be the top story of the week. It could be something from a, a little-known single-seater formula from the other side of the world. Tim Gray, our executive producer, where do you take us for our first story this week? I'd like to start by talking about Bruce Jones. Oh, our Bruce Jones. Our Bruce Jones. Now, you don't, okay. have, you don't have to converse with Bruce or even listen to his commentary for very long to know what sort of school Bruce attended as a young boy. It was a very good one, I would have said. It was a sort of school that does do things properly. Yes. <laughs> things which aren't perhaps deemed correct in our current less enlightened times. And when pupils at those schools misbehaved, the punishments meted out were so effective that they will never be forgotten. 
So perhaps it is with a sense of nostalgia that every year Bruce holidays in Morocco. <laughs> because going to Morocco is a punishment, isn't it, Nick? Oh, I see we did there. Very oh, good. very good. I see how you, I was worried for a moment there, but you circled back beautifully. I... Why is going to Morocco? And, and by the way, I'm sure that the Moroccan Tourist Authority and the series concerned are delighted uh, to be termed a punishment. Why? Why is this in the news, Nick? Well, it, it, I suppose it's an, it was inadvertent PR disasters. It wasn't meant to be a PR disaster, but due to the uh, the active Twitter sphere turned into one. Um, cast your minds back to the Brazilian Grand Prix in uh, October of this year, and was it November? I don't know. Last year. Um, you can't and, cast uh, your mind back to October or November this year. Oh, last year, good point. The peasant... Very quick. Uh, cast your mind back to 2018 in Brazilian Grand Prix and the incident where um, Max Verstappen, who was leading the race, uh, managed to get himself taken out, and yes, that's what happened, uh, by a back marker uh, called Esteban Ocon. And then later on, when Esteban Ocon was kind of not super apologetic, decided to have a shoving match in the, at the, at the uh, FIA Weybridge. Um, that shoving match. That was the brand new FIA Weybridge skills after they'd been destroyed the previous race by uh, Sebastian Vettel, of course. That, that is true. Yes, there's a lot of... Yeah, that Weybridge, is that Weybridge could talk? Things it's seen? It's a bit, it's a bit like the bike sheds at school, isn't it? It's, it's where it all goes on. Which the drivers nowadays are smoking behind the Weybridge. Like they uh, do, yes. None of them, I suppose, really. Um, yes, yeah, so anyway, so the, 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 the net effect was that, that um, Max got a, a punishment from the uh, stewards of the Brazilian Grand Prix of having to do two days of community service, I think is the best way of putting it. Uh, and if I would normally make them do some road safety work or something, as Sean Top once again pushes for his Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Unfortunately, uh, though, you can't really give any of the drivers a. Uh, uh, a high vis jacket nowadays, because that's seen as rather too political in France, isn't it? In a uh, Mayor Jean. <laughs> exactly. Yes, you'd have to do it in, in a country where, where there was no unrest and everyone loved everyone else. So good luck finding one of those. Um, yeah. So they said he had these two days of, um, of hangover. He rather petulantly said he didn't want to have anything happen, which would make him look an idiot. Well, he's because he's quite capable of doing that himself. And his first day of community service, his first punishment day, the first day where he was his, you know, his day rate, I'm sure for Max Verstappen is probably under a thousand dollars a day, and where you have to give his time, um, was to uh, observe the stewards at the Moroccan round, round two of FIA Formula E. So he was punished by having to go to Morocco and watch Formula E. Is one way it could be thought, and one way it was spun, or you could take the FIA's concept which, which was it was a, a single season championship of a high level and he could get a better understanding of what the stewards do so he would perhaps not transgress so much however everyone basically thought yeah it's a punishment to come and see formula e mm. and i think that's all we need to really say about that <laughs> isn't it because we can dig ourselves into so much trouble with that well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I think the the idea was a good one. I don't think I don't think it's a particularly um, good punishment or use day. 
um, they should they should definitely have got something where they, he can he can give back to the community and people can make can actually benefit from it more than that. This is just like a learning day. In many ways, it, you kind of think, isn't that something that anybody gets a super license should do anyway? My dear friend and much missed uh, mentor David Leslie, fast Dave. Always told me about motorsport that you find out as much about every single part of it. He was a huge advocate of drivers actually being mandated to go and do some marshalling rather than just having the opportunity to get a license upgrade signature for doing it, which you can in the UK, which is a brilliant idea. And um, he didn't have to convince me of how hard the, the marshals and the officials work, but um, he gave me an even better understanding of it, in fairness. And uh, I, I honestly, I don't even know where to go with that story. Um, it, it's it wasn't really a proper punishment. It, it's going to be spun all over the place. And uh, Tim, uh, get us out of this. Give me a quote from something or other. I didn't see him, but I mean, to call coming to a Formula E race community service does Formula E a bit of a disjustice. This is an amazing character and category and people pay to come and watch us it shouldn't be a punishment to come here i hope he enjoyed it and i hope he gives good feedback to some of his colleagues who said that sam bird oh really sam bird no that's that you know what that that's really really sensible total wolf was there as well he was there on his birthday so that was his birthday present unless his wife it was does his... win a run mm. a team well, unless it was bring your husband to work dear was it I, I, I i'm not sure which one it was there was there was a cracking caption was there where he was described as husband of Susie Wolf, excellent team principal of whichever team he's principal of excellent excellent Very I, yeah, good I, I understand why they did it but it's massively disingenuous to the man who's won five FIA world championship FIA championship and that stuck me very much of them being over clever in a meeting in the morning and not thinking it through because honestly, that's not what he is. You wouldn't, if you had, uh, you know, I don't know say, say you had uh, Winston Churchill there by some miracle, you, you wouldn't say husband of Lady Churchill, quite good at painting. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it, it was a cheap laugh and a cheap jibe and completely unbecoming of an FIA sanctioned series. Uh, right. Shall we move on? Stoffel van Dorn must have thought that moving away from Formula One would have given him an opportunity to move <laughs> away from the back of the grid. No, he broke down, didn't he? Uh, he yeah, qualified well, last. He did, his car did, in fairness. Well, his car broke down and he had an accident the first lap. <laughs> he qualified last and then uh, ran into the side of his teammate Gary Paffitt at the start. He qualified last because the car had broken down in qualifying. He yes. wasn't the slowest, he had many laps. I think that's only fair to point that out. And then he, then he hit his, his own teammate. Um, and I'm so sure. Sense of deja vu, though, for him having a car that uh, couldn't get him through qualifying, isn't there? I think, I think luckily for him, there's only, there's only, one, there's only two, two um, parts of qualifying in Formula E. So he only got eliminated out of one out of two rather than one out of three, as was going on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fair. Fair point. Fair point. Moving on. What were Gary Pavitt's tactics going into the first corner? Uh, drive into my teammate. Be cautious. No. No. There was a lot. There was. There was quite. A, it was quite an action-packed race. Um, there was quite a lot of incidents and very poor driving. Um, Some. 
Antonio Felix da Costa psyched himself out of the win like a twit and took his teammate out as well. Uh, and the commentary seemed to think that in some way it was Alex Sims's fault when nothing Sims would do apart from attempting to overstake the cost could have caused a problem. Um, and, you know, and, and then I had, we had a... The thing about it is, actually, and I, uh, this, is, this is the second round of the, the non-pit stop races. Mm. And it was actually a very entertaining 45-minute race. However, I just got fed up with the disingenuous coverage in that they stop telling me how great things are and how fabulous it is i can make up my own mind how good it is and the ridiculous statement like it's amazing we've had the closest finish ever in formula e yeah because the cars and the safety cars were last it was a one lap sprint if you didn't get the closest result it was a problem you know don't treat me like an idiot the ra- breathe breathe nick breathe breathe tell me what i'm watching breathe I, I, I watched the I watched the YouTube show and there was no YouTube coverage, of course, for this round. It was uh, it was just the influencers on there, which was interesting. In a different words, a different meaning of the word interesting, by which I mean not interesting at all, actually, which was a shame because there was a good opportunity there. Wish I had there. Well, indeed. Uh, let's take some tweets. Um, Mickey Heth has said, Max, this is very good. You like this, Nick. Uh, Max Verstappen's story is going to get spun all over the place, which frankly is how Max got into the situation in the first place. Very good. Adrian Michael Reese says, better get my hello in before it's too late. I'm not an evening shift this week. Uh, I uh, get the guess they like the look of my face on day shift. Sarah Rigby is... Uh, uh, switching off after a busy day at work and enjoying the company of like-minded folk. I'm not sure we have a mind for anything, Sarah, to be honest, but thank you for your confidence. If you're talking uh, about us. us. Yeah, I think so. Blimey. Uh, uh, Jackie Warnock is listening in and she's been awake since two o'clock. Ah, well, we know why and we'll have more about that uh, later on. Uh, Vettel <laughs> destroyed the carway bridge in Brazil uh, and uh, the Ocon... Um, Verstappen featherweight shoving <laughs> machete was at the skills for humans in Britain. That's very true. Yes, it was a car wear bridge. No, in, in fair, the skills for humans are a flat patch that they stand on one of in in the scrutineering garage. It's not the same set of skills that they have on the on the pit lane, though, RTL. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after a quarter past eight here in the UK. Still pitch black outside at this time of the year, which is terribly depressing, frankly. So we're going to lighten your next hour and three quarters with a bit more motorsport news. I'm surprised we've got Tim's full attention tonight because his football team uh, has got the big derby match on. Uh, Southampton are indeed playing derby. They're the Uh, only derby. Uh, where would you like us to go next, Tim? We're we going to uh, go to Formula One now, replacing our E oh. with a one. Hang on, hang on, hang on. He was in early there. We're going to Formula One next on Midweek Motorsport. Hooray! I am going to put some reverb. I am going to put some reverb on one of you uh, on on that one of these days. So that oh, please do. Because I'll blow my throat out. <laughs> Uh, and Formula One story is what, Tim? Uh, Red Bull Racing. Oh, go on then. Uh, is keeping Sebastian Buemi as its test driver for 2019. Yes. Though he hasn't obviously done any testing recently. Um, 
and I'm sure he won't do much this year. But he's the, he's the reserve driver, actually, is a key point. So if one of the any one of the four drivers they have um, uh, literally breaks a leg, uh, he will um, he will take over for either Toro Rosso or for um, Red Bull. Oh, really? So, he he he's the reserve for both teams, Nick, is he? Yes, he is the floating reserve. I mean, the thing is, they, 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 cause, but they don't think they actually have any other qualified drivers with a super license because the next one up, Dan, um, when, you know, Dan Tickton apparently covered himself in the lack of glory again this weekend by being a bit of a pain in the backside, um, hasn't, he's actually trying to do the last few points by doing a, a regional Formula 3 series. Just so he, can, he can jump in, but they've got Buemi there for the, uh, for the season again. And moving on. Uh, I'd like to. I mean, this, teach the world to sing. No, this press release could have been pointless. Oh, um, is this a semi-pointless? It's, it's press a semi-pointless press release. Press release. Um, okay. It's a contradictory press release. Oh, no, really? Because at the top uh, it says that he'll remain the team's official substitute driver for an eighth consecutive year. And in the right. body. And later on, there's a quote which says, there's no better source of experience and continuity than our test and reserve driver, Sebastian Buemi, for whom 2019 will represent a remarkable ninth year. <sighs> That's just bad, isn't it? Richard, he started 2012, didn't he? That would make it eight. Mm. Or going into his ninth year. They've got themselves... No. Oh, well, no. though. No? He's completed seven years. Right, so he's going into his eighth year. Mm. Right, okay. No, let's just get that sorted out. We like to be uh, we like to be exact here. Uh, moving on, what have you got next? Uh, if you were a large heritage Formula One team, right, yes, and you had a warehouse full of fifteen-year-old merchandise, yes, yes, what might be a good way of getting rid of that? Having a fire set, setting light to it all, and claiming the insurance. Not that anybody would ever do that. How about running a retro livery? How about signing a driver with the same name as the driver you had 15 years ago? <laughs> hey. And who might be doing this, Tim? This is exactly Ferrari. I'm going to say initials. Yes. Excellent. If they could only persuade him to actually stop calling himself Mick, then it would be, it would be even better. I don't, I don't think they... I doubt they've got to wear... A house full of unsold merchandise. That's the only thing. And the biggest problem oh. is it would have sponsor logos that aren't allowed anymore. Don't spoil the story with fact. Good heavens. Sorry about that. I am. But I, this, this, is, officially... this is the worst kept story in, uh, in motorsport that Mick Schumacher is going to be taking on as a Ferrari development driver. Is that right? Ferrari Academy yes. driver. Academy. Okay. I mean, he's already driving the Prima, so he's halfway there already. Um... Yeah, so he's going to be. He'll, he'll he'll get. I think he gets a couple of. He probably will get to drive in the driving the young driver test. So uh, that's the main advantage of it. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it's, it it makes him have to 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 sign to a Ferrari or Sauber. And if, if he goes to F one, I think he's still an open uh, contractual situations that front. I think he's signed in that way. But um, I mean, I think Ferrari. I'll just, um, but it's unlikely to be a space in the, in the main team for a while. So, interesting. And Mick's got a lot to prove. Did well in the back end of, form, of, of last year in Formula 3. But he's got to pick up and run with it in uh, Formula 2 this year. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 2. Uh, Nick Damon, our Formula 1 and 
uh, other correspondents. He has other duties tonight, I think. He's uh, okay. on, on the line from uh, a secret location somewhere near Milton Keynes. Whilst can I, can I, um, yeah, am, I allowed to do, am I allowed to do one? Go on. Because I just, I just thought that this particular news headline was the most ridiculous, pointless uh, headline I've seen. For a pointless article, you can probably guess which site it's on because okay. uh, it's about McLaren. That's and the right. article was McLaren anticipating in quotes anticipating a good F1 car end quote in 2019. I'd, I'd rather I mean I'd, I'd rather anticipating a good car. I'd rather hope that they think they've got a good car rather than think one might just turn up on the doorstep at some stage unsolicited. A bit like, you know, somebody saying, would you like another yeah. credit card? Hey, would you like a good F1 car? We've got one spare. We, you've been pre-approved. You've been... <laughs> Hello, dear McLaren, <laughs> F1, you've been pre-approved for a rather good F1 car. All you have to do is uh, sign here. Well, you say that. Perhaps we're anticipating because they're getting another delivery from the local photocopy shop from Ferrari. Ooh, stop it. Leave that. Oh, that was all proven. That's Leave all proven. It. Leave it. <laughs> Just leave it. Leave it back. Oh, Devons, we've started the new year fairly feisty, haven't we? Uh, where would you like to go next? Are we staying with single-seaters <laughs> or are we going to ask Nick to talk a bit of sports? We're cars? going to stay with single-seaters for two more stories. Oh, OK. Uh, the first one uh, uh, relates to an Austrian. Right. Nicky Loud was left Vienna's RKH oh. hospital uh, again. Great news. Great news. How? What's his condition now? He had a nasty... Um, infection, didn't he? After he got long... the flu um, yes. while he was on holiday in Ibiza. Oh, well, there's a cautionary tale for all of us. Well, if he's going to if he's going to hang out till four in the morning at Pasha, what can you expect? He's about the, probably about the only person who can still afford to buy a gin and tonic at Pasha. Prices have gone up there quicker than Greek well, inflation. I, can't, I, I could, tell you. yeah, I see. Well, I could afford to buy a gin and tonic at Joe's backyard, but that's another story entirely. That's well, why Bradley, Bradley's charges a lot for everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my niece has decided to go to one of the Greek islands for a summer. Really? Yeah. Moving on. Uh, the surgeon, Professor Walter Klep Klepetko, uh, who is head of thoracic department, uh, said uh, the flu infection did not put the three-time world champion's condition at risk and that uh, artificial respiration had not been necessary. Oh, good. Mercedes hopes uh, that he will be back in Melbourne. Uh, driving instead of, mm. uh, presumably driving instead of uh, their second driver, because he'd probably do a better job, eh? Just to... Oh! Why did you stop? Stop it. Stop. All right, moving on. Have you heard about feed racing? How are we spelling that? No. F-W-E-D. Is it for hungry racing? Feed racing? Yes. No. No. We haven't heard about it, but I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell us. Is it, this it's about racehorses by any chance? No, this is about uh, young racing drivers. It's a new right. uh, new young driver program which was launched yesterday, which maybe why can you I haven't tell you, heard about it, it. Well, can I tell you if you use a well-known um, online search engine and put in feed racing. You get racehorse feeds for racehorses at Spiller UK is the top <laughs> entry. Uh, Bailey's horse feeds in second. Racing feed balancer in third. Uh, high performance horse feed from either Saracen or Connolly Red Mills. Uh, and then the Royal Pigeon Racing Associating. Uh, oh, sure. That, sure, that they'll be eating hind off millet, won't they, from the... Uh, I, I should hope so. Up north. <laughs> racing pigeon food from Little Peckers. 
So I'm very good. Very good. Yes, very good indeed. Absolutely nothing on air. So this is young racing drivers who are feeding pigeons and horses, is it? How does this work, Tim? And I presume Canadian, because this scheme has oh. been set up by uh, two of Canada's uh, greatest drivers of the last 20 years. Right. Patrick Lemarier. Right. Do you remember him? Yes. What, what did he do that was significant? Yeah, two seconds a lap slower than anyone else. Tested for BAR. He's also the one that destroyed the oh, only. He, uh, he went so slow. He destroyed Sorry. the only Formula Superfund car <laughs> by crashing it in testing. Uh, some sports cars as well, if I remember rightly. He did some Formula Three Thousand as well. Uh, that's, that's why you. Well, and joining him in this venture is 1997 Formula One World Champion Jacques Villeneuve. <laughs> really? That's a surprise. Is he is he written the theme? Is he going to write the theme? She didn't sing the theme tune. Often, says Jack, parents come to me and ask, "What should I do to help my son?" And my first response is, "Tell him to do something else." Mm. Always positive, Jack. Keep going. Today, enabling a teenager to race is like giving him a Christmas present with a very big tree. That's. Hey. That's not what an education is about, and that aspect started to bother me. Sorry, is this being translated from French? Because that makes no sense. I'd like to point out that Canadians do not speak proper French. Well, hang on, hang on. Adrian Michael Reese says, Patrick Lamarie and... The word and the word star in the same sentence. Can I wake up, please? I must be dreaming. Fade racing, picturing the opening scene in the film musical adaptation of Oliver Twist. <laughs> Not that I've ever seen that, obviously. Of course you have. So if you're a young, if you're a young Canadian driver, yeah, and uh, you, you want have to go up and ask for more, uh, you want and get a big tree. You want to join uh, this uh, feed racing scheme. Uh, what do you have to do? Well, uh, first of all, you have you to be aged 14 to 20. Mm-hmm. And then you have to give Mr. Lemarier $17,000. There you go. There you right. Mm-hmm. Will he sort your PPI out for you at the same time? And then uh, if, you are get, if you get down to the uh, final five in November... Uh, you yeah. could get a full season of Italian Formula 4. Hang on a second. What's $17,000 for? It's your sign-up fee. It's a te- it Basically, it pays for the test that you're going to have. The, Nick, this cast, like a very generous scheme. cast your mind back. Cast your mind back many years to all of the schemes when somebody popped up and said... We're going to find. You know, we're going to put somebody into insert name of Junior Formula here, either Tin Top or Open Wheel, and all you have to do in this national competition to win your way into this prize drive is come and give us five grand here, and then if you get through, that'll be another six grand after that, and if you get through the semi-finals, you'll be driving such and such a car, and that'll be another five grand, and then you might win a drive worth. 20 grand and you've probably paid that by then before they got there but it's it's a it's this you've seen pyramid selling haven't you Come on. Say, it's either motor racing pyramid selling or it's like that best the best thing where you, you get an individual ticket to win a supercar 
you know, it's like do you know anybody? Pounds. Do you know anybody who's ever won one of those cars? I don't know anybody who's ever bought a ticket, to be honest. No. So um, it, it, it's only like if you've got a vast amount of foreign currency, which you aren't going to take out the currency as you walk into the airport, that you'll give it a go. Right, we're half half an hour in. Let's get to uh, let's get to some sports car news. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport yes. with uh, Tim Greer, our executive producer up in London, and Nick Damon is on the line. And uh, Nick, Hello. you were yes. in Dubai at the weekend. I but, was. It was blimmin' lovely. And for what Paul Trusswell in his latest uh, Truss's blog describes as a proper old-fashioned endurance race, and it, it had a bit of everything actually. The Dubai 24 at the weekend, didn't it? He did, he did. And the first thing we sh- the first sorry we lost you there for a moment, Nick. The first thing that we should say sorry? is uh, we lost you there for for a little bit. Um, the uh, the first thing we should say is it was a cracking entry. Um, we started seventy four cars, which a lot of people sort of would point at and say, "Well, that's twenty cars down." But actually, we didn't notice that at all, did we? No, no. I think I think that was that was that was one of the key points. The quality of the field was very very high. Um, the 25 cars that, that weren't there, well, 20 cars were missed. Um, we had constant action. Um, the track was was busy. There was, a, you know, I think as Paul pointed out, we were pointing out the broadcast. There were lots of code sixties caused by, luckily, only of them. My most of most of the major runners had technical little technical issues which which, is, which led to the the win for a car collection now they had a very good team but they managed to run clean which is obviously the way you, you want to see an endurance race one um and all the classes down beneath um provided us with, with heaps of action gt4 constantly changing tcr gt4 um, let's not forget somebody got got second place by staying ahead of the leader to get one extra lap in after the second got, place car had ground to a halt he got second place after 24 hours. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because all the archive was up on the on the day that we finished. And congrats to uh, Tim and the team back in London for doing a cracking job there. It's all on the website, so go back and listen to it. The, the video archive will be up uh, shortly. We're, we're hearing from, uh, from Creventing in the 24-hour series. We had a lot of suspension issues on a variety yes. of cars, including yes. the GT3 cars. Um We've not had that before. Is that just, in some ways, Nick, a, an indication of how hard people are pushing now in this race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, well, uh, we didn't see all the tyre problems we had last year, mm. but they got replaced on the same car by suspension problems and particularly toe link problems for some reason. Now, I have no reason, no idea what particular setup is going to be causing that. Obviously, mullering the curbs is is, is a, a major cause of, of stress in the suspension area. But we did see an awful lot of, of, of those collapses. And they were the sort of problems which were those pretty fixes and back out they went again so it wasn't like you had a um it wasn't a pickup point going and that was no game over it was always one of the uh, a lincoln arm we saw the the non-dual wishbone um car front wheel drive cars a couple that had their their uh, entire rear assembly replaced which is quicker for them of course than than fiddling with anything else so there was a lot of you know, a lot of people spannering and losing 20 minutes here and half an hour there, there was, yeah. the, but we didn't have a, we didn't have as many massive race ending uh problems but the only one i think i can remember is the uh, one of the uh, uh, Black Falcons, of course, had a. They thought they thought it was steering. It was actually a suspension failure that took out. I think that was the two car when it was going quite well. The KCMG TCR had a bit of a fiery moment as well. That was a bit scary. But in fairness, the local marshals who have been uh, 
brilliantly mentored down through the years by uh, various uh, nationalities going in there, including the Brits. They did a brilliant job. And the two guys who went straight to the car with handheld extinguishers, they, they need medals as big as the town hall clock. They did brilliantly um, with with all of that. Uh, um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I have to say, Nick. I thought the event was great. Um, the logistics of new owners, relatively new owners to the circuit, of course. They took it over just before the race last year. Uh, parking was better. Getting in and out was easier. The crowd, it should be said, the crowd, I think might have been the best we've seen there, Nick. Definitely. Definitely the biggest crowd. And it, and, um, and they hung around a long time as well. Um, oh. you know, the whole of the, the hours of, of light. So we have up into the fireworks display. It's gone dark by then, but we stay for the fireworks at 8 o'clock. It was packed. It, it was difficult to walk out in, on the bridge underneath to the, to the commentary box. It was very annoying having actual members of the public in the way, honestly. Who do you think I am? No. Mixing with the hoi polloi. I know you had to. I mean, I'm sorry about that. We'll have your own tunnel, Doug. For Could next, you? For next year. Just, just for it you. Great. No, that was great. Cause it was lots of families. Lots and lots of families. Lots of kids. There were, there were, it was quite fun because a lot of expats, you could hear the dads explain what was going on with the kids and and the mums were there as well it was great it's really really they did they, i don't know why i don't I, I, there must have been some sort of word of mouth or they must have advertised it on radio stations because it was it was it, you know the people have especially come in we had the some nice static displays you know, you, you you're now in love with scissor doors whereas i think they're a bit yeah <laughs> no that was very good um Kravendik have taken on the tcr championship in in the Middle East and are running that this year. In fact, they're running a race this this weekend here. Um, however, we've we found out today something that we've been sitting on for probably three or four months, um, that Kravendik are also going to be running in early October the first ever endurance race for TCR cars only at, at a legendary circuit, Nick. Yeah, they're going to be running the Spa 500, and that's not the Spa 500 or the Spa 500 miles. It's the Spa 500 laps, um, which is calculated. It's going to take about 21 hours, um, approximately, apparently. We're working about a two 30-minute lap. Um, key point about this has been run with the, between WSC, who are the organisers and the group behind the TCR concept. So they basically own TCR. So it's not just... Uh, Creventic feeding off their existing and very healthy uh, and growing TCR pack, but also it's going to be encouraging the people who are in the both the European series and the and the World Championship to to make this an end of year shift. And don't forget the endurance kits aren't particularly expensive for the people who are running the sprint series. So they are targeting 40 cars, and I can't see any reason why they wouldn't get them there. They're also quite interesting that I think what they'll like to see is, is a, a broader spread because the Creventic. Uh, TCR was very popular, has been very VAG orientated. I mean, we've had a, um, mm. we've had one Hyundai running, and we've had a couple of Peugeots running in a kind of a pseudo TCR spec. But outside, of course, of of the criminal, there are a lot of other manufacturers who have cars, and other cars are being developed now. So um, I think you know they're looking for seven or eight manufacturers. Any much initiative, and they are also looking at running both a, a, an all pro event, which would be very very interesting, as well as pro am and am. So we may see, you know. Some some all-star teams in the cars as well, which is fantastic. 
I like the idea as well of, and this is something that's happened at Spa for a while. Uh, this It's going to happen from Friday the 4th till Sunday the 6th of October. There's some support races in there as well. There'll be a parade of race car from the circuit to Malmody City Centre where we'll have an autograph session. Race cars on the road is always, always <laughs> a balance between super cool and it all going horribly wrong very quickly. And I've been in both, uh, involved in both versions uh, of of that I, I, i'm looking forward to it. Uh, it we will be covering it on uh, on rs1 that weekend it will uh, there'll be streaming video as well of course uh, the fact that the wsc and Gravenic have got together i think that's pro- i mean the race itself i look forward to nick but that's that's um that teamwork that association is actually as you mentioned that it's actually quite significant isn't it yeah it is because you went because obviously you have the people who who own the the tcr concept own the rule book effectively they are being going to be much more effective at and additional preventing entries to come along and take part in the event i think the idea is to make it the, the, the spa 500 is they're going to try and make it Annual event like we have now the Spa 24 Hours of GT3. They're looking at this is the first of an event that will become the go-to event for TCR cars. And TCRs, let's be honest, are one of the most successful and multitudinous uh, group uh, classes currently in, in uh, motorsports. So it's a great, great concept, and genuinely can't wait for it. That's Nick Dearman. Thank you, Nick, uh, for speaking to us tonight. We'll speak to you next week. And uh, oh, actually, we might not because. Uh, we're in Daytona for next week. But thank you for tonight, and we'll speak to you soon. Okay. Uh, Nick Dearman with us uh, live here on Midweek Motorsports Series 14, episode number two. And uh, uh, more news coming through throughout the evening. We'll keep you up to date with what's going on uh, on that TCR event as we get a bit closer uh, to it and through our Kravetnik coverage for the rest of the season. Um, let, let's move to America now. And uh, earlier on today, got a chance to talk uh, to one of my favourite people uh, in a paddock that's full of great people in IMSA. John Doonan is a real enthusiast. He happens to be the man who's at the head of the Mazda Sport Programme in the US and when you get a chance to speak to him he's actually in Chicago at the moment um he was you always take the opportunity uh, he was just opening up the conversation we were talking about how great it is that, that we're already so close to a really big race for the start of the IMSA 50th year hard to believe we're uh, one week out from being in uh, sunny Daytona Let's hope it is sunny, Daytona, as well, John. Absolutely agree with you on that. A couple of things I'd like to talk to you, if you don't mind, uh, about uh, in this uh, little chat of ours, uh, although it's always a pleasure to talk. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, news, please, about the Battery Tender MX-5 Championship for 2019 with BF Goodridge. How's it looking for that? I was fortunate enough to see the shootout at the, uh, at the Encore at Sebring at the end of last year and just reminded me how brilliantly competitive and how entertaining that series is. How's it looking for 2019 and what can you tell us? Well, it looks 
quite good. Again, we, uh, as of this week, sold chassis number 200, uh, which is a huge <laughs> milestone for us. <laughs> We're so happy with that. Uh, you know, I, I thought we'd sell 50, um, and we've sold 200. 184 of what uh, we call the ND1, which is a 2016 through 2018 model year, and 16 of the new ND2s, which is that new higher revving engine uh, in the MX-5. So we're really excited. We announced the schedule yesterday. Six awesome weekends, all with IndyCar, kicking off at Circuit of the Americas in March, going over to Barber in April, um, up to Road America, which, as you point out, presents some amazing racing with the long straightaways and drafting. That's in June. Over to Mid-Ohio with IndyCar, late July, early August. And we wrap up on the West Coast out of Portland, and uh, at our old home, which is now WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. So great, great uh, 12 race series, six weekends. And uh, as you can imagine, the racing is going to be just as close, if not closer. John, how important is is that grassroots racing still for Mazda? And, and I say that um, because times change, uh, budgets change. Um, things get tighter for every auto manufacturer. Mazda isn't the biggest in the world. Down through the years, Mazda has put a lot of cash money, folding dollars, into into young drivers' careers and into grassroots motorsport. Some of that you, you've had, you've stepped away from uh, at the end of of last year. But the MX5 Championship continues. Is, is that that important to to where you feel Mazda still is as a brand? Well, it starts in the executive boardroom, and with out uh, a doubt, the biggest support uh, for, for the foundation of grassroots racing comes from our executives. Um, you know, led by Masahiro Moro, all of our executives see grassroots racing as the participation point for our customers. It's one thing for uh, an OEM to go out and spend major dollars in a, in a major program um, at, at the highest levels of the sport, whether it's open wheel or, or in sports cars. But uh, we have continued to provide support for grassroots racing because that's where our most loyal customers compete. Uh, you couple that with support from companies like Battery Tender and BF Goodrich on the MX-5 side, and you have uh, a comprehensive, sustainable program. We've got 11,000 grassroots racers in the U.S. in our database that are out there every weekend you know, using their discretionary income to go racing. The, the same passion that you and I share um, these folks are out there doing it every weekend. So grassroots racing is here to stay. Uh, MX-5 Cup is the next extension of that, the first step into pro racing. And uh, we couldn't be happier with where we are right now. Always room for growth. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But with a car like the MX-5 being eligible for so many classes, uh, it really provides the customer with a, a bunch of options. John, I mentioned the uh, the global challenge at the end of last year at Sebring. Plans to repeat that and bring some of the international stars in to, to have a play and, and go for the, the big cash prize? It's always been our goal uh, to have a global race at the end of the year. So uh, we do plan to continue that in 2019. And what a race there when, when Yui Tsutsumi, the, the Japanese champion, took it to John Dean and, and turned 17 there at John's home track. But Amazing racing. We plan to do that again. And, 
uh, a good buddy of yours and mine uh, might be trying to get something going in the UK. Uh, ben Devlin has um, become a consultant for us, and uh, he's got uh, a cup car, and he's going to be showing up at some track days here. So Ooh. your UK listeners can uh, come out and strap in like you did uh, a few years ago at Road Atlanta and give give it a go in an MX-5 and see if they want to put one in their shop. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that very much indeed. Uh, you mentioned about OEM spending money at the highest level. There's been a, a real root and branch change to what's going on with the DPI programme uh, with a, a brand... A, a, I said this in the broadcast, actually, to Jeremy Shaw. You know, you guys really started pretty much from scratch in, in 2018 with the, the Mazda Team Yost programme. No element of the car was left untouched and not looked at. You've gone through another really uh, significant set of changes in personnel and in equipment as we head into 2019. But with the first I suppose you could say a competitive element of the of the Mazda DPI behind us having been at the Raw. How do you think that's that's looking for 2019? And was was that was that learning year last year? Was it all worth it? Now, without a doubt, we learned a ton in 2018. It was, as you say, a fresh start. Um, a lot of uh, learning on the car by the Yost folks. Uh, a lot of uh, get to know you between the driver lineups and uh, the engineering team. Multimatic has brought massive resource. AER has really stepped up their game. So, um, 2018, of course, uh, we, we wanted to close the deal a few times, and I think we had a couple chances. Uh, Sebring and one uh, Road America with the fuel strategy. Uh, Laguna Seca was was in our hands. Uh, obviously, Petit Le Mans I think was a turning point. We all came there. Um, kind of in a very loose, you know, any, any time a team goes into a sporting event, you want them to be loose and, and ready to go. And I think we came to Petit loose uh, as a team, and, and we really uh, showed uh, by, by sticking with it all day and, and getting both cars on the podium. And that was a springboard into 19, without a doubt. And I think um, what you're seeing uh, in the roar was a perfect example as a team that worked really hard uh, over the off season, um, spent a lot of time putting laps in. We showed up there ready to go, and um, with with extra support from Multimatic, again AER stepped up and, and some adjustments at Yoast. Um, we showed up ready to go, and I, I, I couldn't, without being too optimistic, I, I can't wait to get back to Daytona next week because I think um, you know we were certainly going to go execute our plan, but I, I haven't felt this cautiously optimistic going into a season in a long time. I'll 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 speak to you and some specifics about that in a moment, but I want to ask you a question that might you might find difficult to to, to answer. Just how different is that DPI now than it was, let's say, when you pulled from competition what a season and a half ago? Is there very much other than the central tub that's still the same? So if you look, if you roll back to 2017 and, and you look at the car now, it's dramatically different. Um, Multimatic uh, took the original car and, and transformed it, uh, redesigned the rear suspension, lightened up a lot of components. Um, and then, you know, as you transition in 19, not, not visible necessarily to the, the, the human eye, but IMSO was, 
as, as they looked at the separation, sent us back to the wind tunnel and said, hey, maybe there's some things we can do to help the car be more efficient in a straight line because uh, while the Kodo design is, is the most beautiful ever, we, we were a little less efficient than some of the competition. So the car itself, um, you know, the tub, everything stays the same. A majority of it stays the same uh, from 17 till now, but major transformation going into 18. And, you know, as we go into 19, not a major transformation, but I would just say uh, a lot of buttoning up things. The engine bay is a lot cleaner. Uh, Multimatic and AER worked very closely together on, you know, the plumbing and the installation and the air box and just really cleaned it up uh, easier to work on. And, uh, again, uh, based on how things were at the Roar, uh, the car is performing uh, pretty well. Uh, and... IMSA has given all the DPIs a little more performance now that there's no need to performance balance against the P2 cars. Has that made any significant difference as to how you go about looking at things like particularly the engine, the uppy-downy and roundy-roundy bits? Are they all the same, or has there been some changes there as well? Well, when IMSA announced their vision of class separation back at Road America in August, uh, we did immediately meet with them talk about what we could do to maybe get off the ceiling um, relative to performance and reliability. Um, and again, kudos to the folks at AER. Last year we had, you know, I think an engine issue at Daytona in a race, but never never after that in any races did we have a, an engine issue. So really proud of what they've done. Uh, and that's really the area where we met with IMSA and said, look, uh, we're the smallest displacement engine in the paddock. Um, we, 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 it aligns with our road car strategy, uh, four cylinders and, uh, and some cases, uh, boosted four cylinders. Um, so what can we do? And we looked internally at the components. Uh, so inside the engine, if you could, uh, you know, take one apart or, or get in with your microscope and, and see through the, the, the casing of the, of the block, you're going to see some new components, um, mainly metallurgy, you know, just a new crank, um, you know, a new piston. Um, and, and new cams and things like that that just help us get off the ceiling. Uh, we're revving it a little higher, and uh, as your keen ear probably heard, it sounds a little uh, throatier. We re- rerouted the exhaust. Um, so it, it, it sounds pretty good uh, when it goes through the trial hole there at Daytona. It sounded fantastic, John, and I'm, I've got no doubt that people will be posting videos of what is a very good-looking car. Rested to, or at least came out in two different liveries, the uh, the slightly darker version of uh, Soul Red Crystal, uh, and uh, I guess what was a testing livery, the dark, the dark grey car. Do we expect to see them both? in the traditional Mazda Soul Red, or is, is that something that you're keeping under under your hat for the moment when we get back to the Rolex 24 Daytona? No, you'll see both the 55 and the 77 and Soul Red Crystal come next week. Um, we obviously have a rich history in IMSA, so we're looking at uh, potentially doing some historic celebration liveries. Uh, we were hoping to try to do that at Daytona. Uh, things didn't work out timing-wise on that. So, Soul Red Crystal, uh, hopefully running up front uh, for 24 hours next week. Which brings me perfectly back to the roar, John, and the running that we saw in early January. Uh, no doubt that your two cars were going very quickly indeed. Uh, were they going as quick as they possibly could? Ollie Jarvis was quicker than a, a 20-odd-year-old, nearly 30-year-old lap record there were you going as fast as you could and how do you feel that puts you 
in terms of what everyone else was doing? Well, um, I'm really proud of uh, what we performed or how we performed there, uh, without a doubt, um, you know, to, to break that record in, in honor of the Gurney family and what Dan and the All-American Racers st- stands for to this day. Um, that was really special. Um, and we did, John. We did perform to our potential. Um, we promised IMSA as, as uh, we sat back in December at the manufacturer's meeting, uh, we were committed to going there and, and performing at the Roar. Uh, to give them good data, to, to show uh, them what's what's possible with our package. Um, and we did exactly that. We, we uh, executed our test plan, and uh, IMSA is aware of what the plan was, was going to be and, and now what it is. Um, not can't speak for the other manufacturers. I hope everybody went there and performed uh, to their to their capabilities. I guess we'll find out next week uh, <laughs> what everyone's truly capable of. Um, but uh, IMSA's got a great system in place. I trust that system uh, relative to the BOP process that they've put in place. And I'll tell you, the roar is becoming more of uh, an event than just a uh, glorified test day, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what? I said that in the broadcast, John, and and I'll tell you what, if I'm a spectator, if you're a spectator and, you know, you want to see something a bit different, it's got a personality of its own, that roar now, and, and having the the prototype race uh, on the Saturday as well, and then the competitive element on the Sunday for for garage and uh, and pit lane position, I think is a really smart move from the, the guys at IMSA. I really do. I think they've done that very well uh, indeed. How much time did you have to watch everything else that was going on, John? Because I reckon in the Rolex 24 Daytona, we've got cracking battles in all the classes out there. I know you're an enthusiast. Did you have any time to watch what was going on in in particularly GTLM and GTD? Yeah, I think, once again, um, the variety um, of people <laughs> that are in the top spots in those classes, and you, you can roll back to Petit Mama. what an epic race that showed all the manufacturers at some point running at the point, you know, uh, yeah. running at the sharp end. And I think, again, without, uh, you know, being the teacher's pet here, it, it's got to go credit to IMSA and to all the manufacturers who've invested to run there. But then IMSA has invested in the personnel and tools to make sure that it's a level playing field with a huge variety. And that does one thing in my mind and uh, I think, uh, you know, 6,000 boy and girl scouts plus all the other fans saw at the roar. It creates excitement. And uh, I think if, if Petit Lamar is, is any uh, example, we're in for not only an amazing 2019 season, but the Rolex 24 is going to be one amazing event. Uh, we don't have any uh, MX-5s in the... A Michelin Pilot Challenge anymore now that the ST class has gone. Uh, what has replaced it is TCR and GT4. Now you've got a new Mazda 3. In fact, it's just been revealed the 2019 Mazda 3. Any plans to turn that into a racing car and maybe go TCR racing against the likes of Honda, Hyundai, and, and all the VAG models there, John? Because that looks super as well. Well, it is an awesome formula. Um, I've uh, said in the last couple of years we're studying it like crazy. I hope to be able to uh, announce some specific plans uh, in the not-too-distant future. But it's an amazing uh, platform. Um, you're right, that new Mazda 3 that we unveiled in Los Angeles back in November is an absolutely stunning car. 
Uh, and like all Mazdas, uh, its driving dynamics are uh, are one of a kind. And so uh, we're looking at it. And as you know, we have the Road to 24 uh, program, and having a TCR effort would be a logical step uh, coming out of a great MX-5 Cup Series uh, with a $200,000 scholarship. Mm. And uh, even with the uh, 2019 season on us, the, the, the ND1 class or the, the early uh, model your cars. That champion in MX5 is going to get a hundred thousand wow. uh, dollars to stay with us for the in the next season of MX5. So, um, short answer to your question is uh, can't say too much, <laughs> but uh, we, we sure like that that formula of PCR and hope to be able to make some announcements uh, real soon. You know, you're always going to be welcome on this show whenever you've got something to say, John. Uh, John Doonan, thanks very much indeed <laughs> for being with us. I'll see you in a week or so. Uh, I think you might have to pack a, a warm pair of gloves and a hat for part of the week, at least at Daytona. Have a good one, mate. You too, and uh, maybe at night I'll bring you a cup of hot cocoa to keep you warm in the boot. That's a, that's a deal, mate. That's a deal. Thanks, John. Thank you. Have a good day. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. It's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Uh, In the second hour of tonight's programme, hey, that was good, wasn't it? John Doonan saying uh, specific plans for TCR announced in the near future. Uh, In the second hour of tonight's programme, we will have Shea Adam, who'll bring us up to date with all of the news from the IMSA paddock ahead of the Rolex 24 at Daytona and our coverage of that starts uh, at this time next week when we'll have a live version of this programme from our broadcast centre there. Your tweets, please, on at Specutainment. News from the IndyCar, new sponsorship deal as well. But next, on Midweek Motorsports Series 14, Episode 2, it's the big interview. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. It's Midweek Motorsports Series 14. Yes, can you believe that? 14 years we've been uh, doing this. This is episode two, and our big interview tonight uh, is with a fellow enthusiast and one who's been doing some very impressive work in his job as the man at the head of the Asian Le Mans Series. Welcome to the show, and it's been far too long since he and I have spoken together. Uh, Cyril Teshvaland. Uh, Cyril, good evening and welcome along. How are you? Hi, good evening, John. I'm I'm very very good. Uh, first and foremost, if I may, happy New Year of to co- you and and everyone. Uh, I mean, it's a healthy, happy, prosperous New Year uh, for everyone. That's the most important. Uh, that you are very correct when you say that. And a, a motorsport New Year, which for you and the Asian Le Mans series, this is right in the middle. Of your season, uh, the Asian Le Mans series went to a, a winter calendar some time ago, and that means this is the busiest time of your year. It is, exactly. Uh, you know, the Asian Le Mans series um, starts in uh, in November and finishes in February, which uh, makes that um, time of the year um, very busy for us. But don't get me wrong, I have the feeling, in all honesty, that uh, the team and myself are very busy 12 months a year, uh, trying to make sure that every year we move forward, we build even better and stronger what is supposed to be one of the most important 
part of the development of the ACO racing pyramid for the future, namely Asia. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's very busy track-wise, but the rest of the year is also very, very busy for us because, as you know, and you may have seen, uh, things are not very, very, very easy. You know, it's uh, it's a new market. It's developing. Uh, competition is getting fierce. And, uh, of course, we have something important to, to play there. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a real passionating challenge. Uh, earlier uh, today, the press release came out about uh, international motorsport returning to South Australia as the Asian Le Mans series heads to uh, the bend, the tail and bend in the 2019-20 season. That's next year. That's a brand new racetrack and an expansion into a new market for the Asian Le Mans series. How important are both of those things to the development of the series? Uh, you know, John, um, first, we are very happy um, with this, very happy to be able to share the news today. Um, the actual date of the event will be released uh, next month together with the rest of the 2019-2020 calendar. Um, <clears throat> we have been thinking of extending um, the Asian of footprint down under uh, for quite some time. We needed um, the right opportunity. And, um, you know, sometimes you feel that, well, this is the moment. We, we had a momentum and it was for us, once everything has, has been aligned, quite an easy decision to make given what is at stake for Asian Le Mans, namely to grow the footprint. And of course, for, for, for us, Australia, which is part of Asia Pacific, was something we were aiming at reaching. And it's also part of what we need to do from time to time, which is to give the Asian Le Mans calendar and the stakeholders, the teams and drivers and sponsors, new um, new areas, new territories to, to enjoy uh, and to race at. And for, for us, it was quite obvious that within the context of an ongoing and permanent development of Asian Le Mans, this might come um, into the um, into the bucket. That said, of course, next year, as everybody knows already, we are not going to move the series format uh, by adding an extra event. Um, we are going to keep the four-event format for the 2019-2020 season when we have a plan to expand from four to five for the 2020-2021 season. Right. Th those are very important milestones. The new event in Australia, the the uh, the expansion of the series uh, in a couple of seasons' time to to have five events. Um, what do you think has been the major... That's the future. What do you think has been the success that's got you here? What has been the achievements that have got you to this point? It's It took some time, Cyril, to be honest, and there was a lot of critics who said it wasn't going to work. But you and the team and the ACO have persisted. Where did you think, if you look back a couple of seasons or so, maybe more, where did you think the turning point was that made the difference to get you to this strong position that the, season's in, the series is in now? 
I never give up. <laughs> Truly, I never give up. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a racer. I'm, I'm more, more a sports racer. I'm a fan. But I do run marathons. So that's my own little endurance racing. Um, you, are, you can't give up if you want to finish a marathon. Um, and I, I, I'm not joking. It's very serious, you know. Um, when the ACO decided to take over from previous management after um, two years of uh, Asia Le Mans having been run by uh, this third-party company, uh, of course, people were very doubtful about the ability of the Asian Le Mans series not only to resume or recover or to be relaunched, but to succeed in the mid-long term. Um, so, of course, that, that was a challenge. The challenges are very exciting, especially when you have the fantastic opportunity and the, uh, you are lucky enough to get that, op that opportunity to work towards the building of a respected, strong Asian Le Mans series and, and, the, and the, the Le Mans series for Asia. I'm, I'm saying that because 15 years ago, I've been lucky already once to start the, at the time it was called Le Mans Endurance Series. Remember, we had uh, in November 2003, the 1,000 kilometers of the Bugatti track in Le Mans. I remember well, yes. Rainy day, 36 cars, um, and this was actually the first teaser event, the one-off event, um, launching the new ACO Endurance Racing Series for Europe to, to start in, in, in uh, 2004, which was based on the decision made by ACO to uh, work together with, at the time, uh, Patrick Peter and Stefan Rattel to, to build a new endurance racing championship for Europe after the FIA decided to stop the 2003 FIA Sports Car Championship run by John Mongolezzi at the time. And we started in Monza in April 2004 uh, with 40 cars on the grid, live on TV, six-hour race. When you have been lucky 15 years ago to participate to the launch of the ACO series for Europe. Because remember, at the time, the, the, the only other Le Mans series that was existing was the American Le Mans series back in 1999. So it was a major step. It was a, a milestone in the development of the ACO endurance racing uh, pyramid. And when 15 years after, you are given the, the chance, the opportunity to replicate that you, you can't hesitate. So the, the, the challenge and the passion and the, um, the opportunity was for me much bigger than any threat, any doubts or anything else that we could have uh, feared about. Because honestly, it's so, it's so special. This market is so new. We, we have decades of motorsports history in Europe. Yes. And uh, even if probably 60, 70% of the teams that are competing in the 2003, 2004 uh, LM, LMES season do not exist anymore, numbers are still there uh, somehow. When, you, when, when we talk about Europe, we talk about a geographical zone that has no more border, uh, one single currency, and by doing trucking, you reach Portimao from Silverstone in three days. Mm -hmm. 
the perspective in Asia is completely different from that standpoint. point. You, you don't do trucking unless you, you do only races in China, for instance, but being an international series in that big Asia-Pacific region, uh, things have to be organized a, a bit differently and you have to deal with constraints that have nothing to do with the sport itself in the first place. Um, if you, when we brought, when we brought um, um, the uh, Le Mans Endurance Series in, in Turkey, in Istanbul, for the first time in 2005, you realize that when crossing the, the, the bridge in Istanbul, the, the first sign you see is welcome to Asia. Yes. So let's assume that Asia starts from the, <clears throat> the right bank of the Bosphorus River in Istanbul, and he goes to, what, Tokyo, Fuji, and then from Beijing to Adelaide. Mm -hmm. The footprint is absolutely massive. So when you, when you think of that, you realize that in the very long term, there are lots of opportunities to expand. The thing is that when you take over a series which was in the state of the Asian Normal Series at the end of 2014, you have to be very humble to keep a very low profile, even if you know that you are not the type of person who gives up easily, you know that it will take time. And the most important thing for us, for the ACO, was to make sure that we would give the stakeholders, the teams, drivers, and sponsors in the region, confidence again in the product. Yes. In the product. We have a name, we have a chance, which is absolutely massive. Our series, carries the Le Mans name. And um, it's sometime I'm joking with that, but I keep telling everyone that we must say Asian Le Mans, Asian Le Mans, Asian Le Mans, yes. and not limited to ASLMS or ALMES or whatever. Yes. The Le Mans name, and you realize that after four years now, that people reckon that Le Mans is one of the most important monoracing events in the world. And don't get me wrong, talking about that, just quickly. It's ranked amongst the three, it's, we're used to say that it's ranked amongst the, the three most important motorsport racing events in the world. Okay, F1 World Championship, or some say that it's Monte Carlo F1, but let's, let's say it's F1 World Championship, Triple Crown, huh? Indy 500, and, and, and Le Mans 24. Correct. Le Mans 24 is the only one which is open to gentlemen drivers. Good point. That's the, the beauty of it, is that anyone potentially starting a motor racing career as a gentleman driver or a professional driver can one day think about competing and entering Le Mans 24. That's something very special. Oh, it's unique. Oh, it's unique in okay. all of sports, not just motorsports. I've said many times before, Cyril, that, that you can have as much money in the world, you can go and buy a soccer team, you can go buy a baseball team or an American football team. But what you can't yeah. do is pull the jersey on and play centre-forward or pitcher or quarterback. Well, And you won't be playing on the field. No, exactly. You, 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 might, you might be... In our sport, you can. Exactly. So, Cyril, how important has it been to get the balance right uh, in attracting teams from the region, that huge region you were describing of, of Asia-Pacific, and getting some names to come across from Europe, and, and, and how have you managed to achieve that balance? Again, uh, back to square one and finishing and to answer the previous question, because it's very much linked, and you're right, John. Um, 
giving confidence again in the product meant that people, the stakeholders, wouldn't give up in f- having a look at what we were doing. And when you deliver and provide in this very new market good regulations, fairness in the sport, a very good scrutinizing team, a good media package, a very professional organization, you have already achieved something. And because the, the level at which we play and we are aiming at playing, it's quite high. When some of the, the teams in some of the countries in the region are not used to that level. And it's fine. So it, it's going to take time. We, we thought that. The Asian Le field back in 2014 was mostly... made with Asian-based team, the like uh, Craft Bamboo, AAI, Eurasia Motorsports. When we took over and uh, restarted the whole thing, because it was an official ACO involvement and management, people in Europe started to have a look and consider the opportunity because having made the move to change the calendar, to swap the calendar from spring, summer to autumn, winter instead, we opened a new window, which would be interesting for European teams to consider because then after having finished their European program, knowing that more and more European teams are looking for other opportunities to keep their mechanics, employees busy 12 months a year, which makes perfect sense. It started like this, but it was not the only factor Um, because we have been facing or we had to deal with the very quick evolution of the market itself, um, which is in Asia and China in particular, mostly based on touring car on the one hand, GT cars on the other hand, and some formula championships. But, I mean, endurance racing is something that is known in Asia. But the type of endurance racing we do, the ACO type of endurance racing, plus introducing LMP cars, that was the challenge. Yes. And um, so after the... uh, 2015-2016 season, we had rather succeed in giving people confidence again in, in the product. We finished uh, the season in, in Sepang with, I can't remember exactly, but almost 20 cars on the grid, 18, 19, 20 cars. The 2016-2017 season, remember, has, had started on a real high because we were in Zhuhai with 29 cars on the grid. Yes, But it was... That year, when GT Asia was struggling, and the um, the Blancpain GT Asia Championship wasn't there, and then the year after, the market had evolved in terms of uh, GT racing offers, and uh, we had a massive drop on the GT field. But this is exactly, and I'm going back to the point, we persisted, we didn't give up in terms of 
investing in building a bigger and stronger series by moving from highlights, TV highlights program only to TV highlights program plus live stream production. Yes. So the investment has been um, even bigger. And last year, we have enjoyed fantastic media valuation, sponsorship valuation figures. Um, it's, it's really is after having moved the calendar from spring and summer to autumn and winter, having never give up, given up on the organization, mm -hmm. sticking to the plan and offering an even better and more attractive platform allowed us to succeed in keeping the series very much attractive and interested, interesting, leading to the 2018-2019 the season, which is ongoing, which is the best ever in terms of media exposure, TV exposure, quality and quantity uh, of the field. Uh, uh, you you meant... Cyril, sorry to interrupt that. You, you, you mentioned and something that I, I want to take you back to because I think it's very important. You mentioned about the the interaction. That's not the right word. Sorry. The way that the, the business model works depending on what else is out there in terms of uh, competing series or even complementary series. The, the Ish and the Mon series moved to that um, autumn-winter um, uh, schedule in order to allow particularly the European teams to be able to extend their year the WEC has now moved to a similar time albeit a little more extended than that running through all the way of course to Le Mans as their finale in June and I accept that this is a transition season for the WEC but as we look further forward and looking into the middle and long term as I know you always are does, does that help you? Does it provide challenges for you? Does it potentially take away um, some of the some of the teams who might have come and 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 competed with you, or does it just set the focus even brighter, shine a light, if you will, on the fact that there's motor racing all the way around the world, all the way around the year? Okay, alors, alors, John, oui. alors. donc, John, uh, donc, John, I'm sorry, but just going back to the previous questions, which is again very much linked to what you are. Uh, saying now, having moved from sp spring and summer to autumn winter um, was an opportunity, of course, for European teams, but it was also an opportunity for Asian teams being busy doing something else during spring and summer and couldn't join. And it's not only a question of date clashes, you know that. It's a question of having cars stuck in containers moving in different countries in another series when you are. In another country, you, you can't, even if you don't clash with dates, you you, you, you can't do magic, okay? Um, so, and the, big, and the big mileages and, and travel that you're talking about in that, you mentioned earlier on in that, in that region that you have there, that just exacerbates that problem. So th that's why having that window for us was something which could benefit from both European teams, but Asian teams too. And, and, we, and we saw that in, in uh, 2016, 2017, we had 16 GTs on the grid, most of them coming from Asia. They, they had finished GT Asia and they moved and, and they enjoyed Asian level. 
Um, so it's not only a question of having designed a calendar for European teams in the first place. It's, it was an opportunity to use yes. a window which was for us available, which comes as a potential com complementary project for other teams based in the USA, in Europe, or in Asia. And it is, of course, something which is not easy to put together because during that window, which is quite short, and we would like to extend a little bit, you have to deal with not clashing with Christmas for the European teams. You have to deal with Chinese New Year, which dates move by every year, but 10 days back and forward. Uh, you have to not to clash with Bathurst if possible. Uh, you, you don't clash with Macau. Uh, it takes time to ship a container from venue A to venue B. Uh, so at the end of the day, you don't have that much weekends left, you know. Um, but when it comes to uh, the WEC having moved over two years now, um, I think I, I don't see that as a... Of course, it's a challenge in terms of uh, calendar, but this is something which I don't see as a problem for us because, of course, I'm not going to clash with WEC. It wouldn't make any sense. We have teams running in ELMS uh, wanting to join in Asian Le Mans again, and we have teams doing WEC uh, and enjoying uh, Asian Le Mans this year. And, wanting to, to, to go to come back if possible. So of course it's something that has that, that needs to be uh, worked out together. But uh, you you will see uh, next year calendar is not gonna clash with the WEC one at oh, all. Okay. It wouldn't make sense. The ELMS has shared dates, certainly one date, with uh, Silverstone being a, a double header. There's, there's no thought that something like that might happen in the in the medium term, Cyril, with the WEC being out in Asia for a similar calendar part of the year. Okay, um, remember, Fuji, twenty fifteen, Asian Le Mans was having its first event after ACO took over. We were, we, we were together with the WEC. Um, at the time, it was for us a very nice opportunity because we benefited from the WEC media exposure and given for that race, we had uh, 13 cars on the grid we we decided that not to take too much risk and to do one-off event. We would join WEC. Uh, cars were under a big tent. And this is something that most of the teams in the world have experienced at least once. Um, we had a reduced format uh, in terms of uh, race time, but um, it went okay. So we, we did it because of the size of the field at the time. And the fact that for us, uh, relaunching Asian Le Mans with what was at stake and the fact that you mentioned previously that um, people thought that it wouldn't work, we couldn't start investing a huge amount of money uh, renting Fuji Speedway on our own for a one-off one event with 13 cars. So we did it once. When you look and think of you know, things in mid-long term, and given where the Asian Le Mans 
uh, is now, which for us is supposed to be or, or become, if not yet, the reference endurance racing series in Asia, Pacific, with 20, we had 27 cars in Shanghai. So let's assume, we, let's talk about racetracks that we have in common with the WEC. Uh, for, forget about uh, Fuji because they go there in, in October and uh, it's, a, it's a bit early for us because in October um, you have teams still be, busy in other championships in Asia and the European teams are, are, yes. have not finished yet because they have a Portimao at the end of October. So le, le, let's focus on the Shanghai uh, example. They have 36 cars uh, entered for the full season in WEC. Uh, and, and there is, I think, 36 or 38 big garages in Shanghai, and we have 27 cars. Mm-hmm. And we have a four race, and we do refueling, etc., etc. So that means that it's not that we don't want, it's just that in terms of track time available, because WEC, they also have their own support races, uh, given the format of the weekend and given the fact that we wouldn't have been allocated any pit garages at all, it's complicated to justify uh, yes. towards the stakeholders and sponsors that Asian Le Mans, which is aiming at becoming the reference endurance racing series in Asia, yes. would be operated with a reduced uh, track time format and with no pit garages in Shanghai uh, in conjunction with the WEC. It, it's, it's an, it has nothing to do with the WEC itself. Of course, it, it may help. But don't forget, teams that are doing WEC and interested in um, doing Asian Le Mans as well might struggle having to deal with two series on the, on the same, same weekend. weekend. Yes, good point. When, when the, I won't, I won't name them, but when some of the teams um, that are actually competing in the 2018-2019 Asian Le Mans series season and were also WC competitors really prefer not to have date clashes because it's easier for them to split their crew they are not using the same equipment. Cars are not the same anyway, and uh, it's easier like this. Yes, good point. So Sorry. I fully appreciate. And and last thing, because you mentioned uh, and you were perfectly right, the Silverstone uh, event combining the WC and the ELMS. Um, they they are lucky enough in Silverstone to have two pit lanes. Massive, massive advantage. So you know, it's um, we. We, we kept the four-even format for the 2018-2019 season. The, the major difference for us was to move from Zhuhai to Shanghai and then um, having four grade one circuit in the calendar, which is uh, very interesting and very appealing, very attractive for the teams. So at the end of the day, yes, I fully appreciate your point on the potential opportunity um, we did it once uh, for the first ever uh, Asian Le Mans series event after ACO took over in Fuji with the WEC. Um, but things were totally different because uh, we were relaunching a series which people didn't know whether it would work or not. Four years after, for all the very good reasons, uh, technical logistics, etc., and the perception of the series and uh, yes. the, 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 the expectations of the stakeholders. This is something which is maybe not the good idea. Uh, we uh, we thought it, it could be. No, indeed. And, and, and I, I, that was a, a, a very considered uh, response to the people who 
have been asking that question. Uh, Cyril, final question for you, because I've taken up way too much of your time, but I'm thoroughly enjoying this, and so are our listeners. Um, the uh, the new venue in Australia at the Bend uh, <laughs> announced today, fantastic. Um, what do you think, uh, by uh, the way? Because you are, you are the first person I'm talking to about this news. Well, you know that I work at Bathurst with uh, with Richard Creel, and that's his local track. He's been very much involved uh, with that. He's very excited about it. We've carried some um, some racing from there in the Australian Prototype Championship, and um, it, it's a fantastic facility. I think it's a massive step forward and a huge milestone and uh, signpost for the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, and I, I, I hope so. I, I, I think so too. We thought that, and um, I, I have to say, and I would like to thank Sam Shaheen from. Um, what the, an enthusiast uh, the, he is, the, by the way. Yeah, the the more the the, the 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 Ben Motorsport Park. I mean, it has been, as I told you in, in the beginning of the interview, it's been wow. I've been there and he's so enthusiastic. They have made such a nice facility there. Uh is it, it's been so nice talking with him and, and, and working on the opportunity, and it actually went quite quickly. So I'm, I'm very, very glad um, of the support. And I think that, you know, uh, the race of a thousand years organized by the late Don Panos uh, on the 31st of January 20, uh, 2000 was the last time LMP cars uh, actually raced in Australia. <laughs> so it's... These little things, you know, when you consider that ACO 20 years after, the, this time ACO will bring LMP cars again in Australia, it's something that puts a, a huge smile on my face because, wow, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. And I'll, um, I'll tell you now, Cyril, the Australian audience have been crying out for it. It's the question that I get asked most when I'm in Bathurst for either the 12 hours or the 6 hours, of which I'll be at both again this year. When are we going to get ACO rules racing back? Um, the Bend has given that opportunity um, to you, and fantastic that that's, that's going to happen. Um, we wish you the best with that we really do and with the season and thank, thank you, you so thank much you, for being thank you and spending thank you, so Chad. much time thank you for having me thank you for inviting me it was our first time uh, for too long yeah but you know time flies and you're very busy uh, i'm busy but i'm very very glad that we had that opportunity to, to start the, the the year um sharing this time with you and um, able to speak about a little bit what you know we have been humbly and doing very hard for four years now um, the, the the news about the the, the band is for me uh, massive um, of course we are going to keep the four event format for the 2019-2020 season uh, as I told you the calendar uh, should be released um, early February um, we are making all possible efforts to make sure that it is leading us towards an even bigger and, and stronger Asian Le Mans season next year. Um, we should finish on a high in Sepang on the 24th of February uh, with a couple of more cars entered. Um, it is tough. Uh, uh, it's tough. It's not easy. 
But as I told you, never give up. And I'm sure you, you, you never give up too, John. Uh, we are enthusiasts. It's our sport. We must defend motorsports. There are more and more people um, criticizing motorsports. Uh, it's important that we defend our industry, the one we like. And um, I hope that giving uh, the fans such good news will help uh, create a snowball effect, which is going to help the, the, the whole thing, you know, because we have to remain and we have to keep being enthusiastic about what we like and, and the sport, which is very much criticized. Um, you know, I, I told uh, in Buriram during the driver's briefing that uh, the uh, 777 flying from Bangkok to uh, Paris would burn more fuel than Asian the whole season. So, Correct. well, um, it's a sport. It's a very nice sport. And it's a sport gentlemen drivers can enjoy together with professional drivers. Um, and that's the beauty of it. And I just can't wait, especially with the new generation LMP2 cars uh, being uh, allowed and eligible for next year Asian Mall mm. Series to see these fantastic cars and machine uh, competing at the bend, which is the second longest track after Nordschleifer because it's a 7.7 kilometer track. We are using the biggest layout, the longest layout of the bend track, and it's going to be the first time. And uh, that uh, will happen in the 2019-2020 season. Correct. Exactly so. Sorry, uh, I just lost uh, Cyril a little earlier than I was expecting there. Thanks for jumping in, uh, Tim. Our big interview tonight, Cyril Teshvalen from the Asian Le Mans Series, the managing director. A bit, bit longer than we normally have, but I hope you understand why. Thanks to everyone who's tweeted in. Dave Alcock says, a great person to represent the series. Very thorough with his explanation. Very entertaining as an interview. No wonder the Asian Le Mans stakeholders are getting behind the series to support it. Uh, the brilliantly known, uh, named I Don't Know Anymore says, uh, great series, really coming on strong, only going to get stronger. An inspired decision on so many levels to go to the bend. Uh, and Right Turn Lover says, uh, fully understand the, some of the concepts and philosophy that Cyril was talking about, particularly with the uh, with regards to transport, it's great for the fans on the ground to have more racing, but it tends not to help uh, any series in terms of entries. Uh, crossovers are rarely seen. Uh, thanks to Jane Rowe for setting that up and to Cyril for giving us uh, his time this evening. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14 episode two and uh, we're going to move on to some american news now i think tim aren't we uh, well before we do i just need to uh, prove that we're live with a uh, football update and okay. the team in red and white uh, beat another team in red and white by one goal to nil but lost three to on aggregate uh, fantastic and neither of them are the team in red and white that i'm watching <laughs> no, I know who you're watching, but I'm staying away from that for a little while. Declan's watching that as well, of course, because yes. he's the other side of that. Because he's a equation. loser. Oh, is he? Well, I've just won that for me now. Thanks. Uh, Mickey Heth says, fan engagement, allowing us to get our eyes uh, on the prize with a free live stream will help any series grow a global audience. Uh, and uh, a lot of people seeing just uh, how much they enjoyed that long, big interview. Uh, tonight, I thought it was a pretty decent uh, uh, expression of 
the philosophy of the series and thanks again to Cyril for that sorry we cut them off rather quickly there but as you could hear the internet was not playing along are we going to do some US news now yes because yesterday IndyCar announced that global information technology and communications leader NTT is to be the new title partner and new official technology partner of IndyCar uh, and various other IndyCar brands uh, including the Indy 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Brickyard 400 beginning this year. Uh, here's what uh, Mark Miles had to say about it. NTT is this um, giant global company that is a global leader in technology and communications. The future growth of our sport depends upon great racing, but our ability to get that to and communicate it to fans especially younger fans, and they love digital technology. So I think the capabilities of NTT and their commitment in our agreement to help us develop new, not just the app, but other applications of technology to help drivers and team owners race and race better, but also to follow the sport for fans, it's sensational. And they're focused on it. A lot of work has already been done on the app, and. Uh, can't wait to see what uh, smart racing will look like with the partnership of NTT, NTT and IndyCar. I think fans can be thrilled at what's coming in terms of the new NTT IndyCar series app. Verizon did a great job and it was really important as, as a portal in effect for so many of our fans, both for the video on demand and the uh, uh, non-live content, but also for the live content that was generally in the section that we called uh, race control. But the new development will be that it's open to all uh, customers who have mobile uh, cell service. So the live data was only accessible previously if you were a Verizon customer. Now, whoever your mobile provider is, you can get the live data. We had 500,000 people download the app last year, and I think that will grow really meaningfully because of it being open. So the new app and it not being tied to one particular provider mm. is the big... Uh, announcement uh, combined with this sponsorship and uh, that is a massive benefit to people outside of the US who couldn't possibly ever have subscribed uh, to Verizon as a cellular provider. Uh, someone who is not from uh, America is Scott Dixon and this is what he had to say about it. I think to, to get to a company like you know NTT on a, on a global uh, you know size is, is, is going to be huge. You know I think in the technology uh, you know that they use and push and, and you know is going to help in many ways, especially with the new app. The access is going to be unrestricted, uh, which I think is very positive, especially for the worldwide reach that we need. Uh, so I'm I'm excited. You know I've worked with NTT now for you know two, three, four, five years. Uh, I think with the team they've been you know eight years. Uh, so I think both you know IndyCar and in NTT together is just going to be uh, it's going to be huge. Uh, Shay Adam joins us live from Florida. Good evening, Shay. Good evening, Tim. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year to you, Shay, as well. I've seen you since the New Year, John. I know, <laughs> but you haven't been on the radio <laughs> since then. Um, how, if she how has. In, how, important, how important is 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 that point that both Scott Dixon and Mark Miles and Tim brought up there about opening up IndyCar away from a single cellular stroke web provider? Um, it's, it's very important is the bottom line. And the more so important thing is the fact that this is a major communications company that is invested in technology and, and spreading the word because the previous app, all 
total honesty, wasn't that great for Verizon users. I would, I used to have that. I would watch the races and it just sort of lost interest because it was about a lap behind. So if you were watching the onboard footage, it would just be a little bit confusing unless you were at the track, in which case it would be a different situation. Yes. But to be with a company that's going to provide a much more uh, user-friendly platform to try and lure in new people of different generations, that's going to be key. And this is the parent company to NTT Data. Yes. So NTT itself is a much bigger conglomerate. It's going to be interesting to see where they sort of lure their tentacles into the, the series. This straight this straight in now on art spec entertainment from Lauren Davis. Uh, sorry. Laverne Davis Jr., excuse me, says, this is a huge story for me. Now I can follow along the IndyCar action unrestricted uh, and not dependent on my cell provider. For, for people outside of the States, I think we have to sort of make the point that there's not unrestricted access to every part of the internet uh, in terms of what goes on in the States. It depends who you're with and, and how you get your internet and who your 4G provider is on your cell phone plan and who you're cable network is etc etc so this this is actually a big deal uh, for ntt to come on board and this is a deal share that in anybody's terms but particularly in sporting terms has come around exceptionally quickly and completely out of the blue too when you think about it it was three months from start to finish which is unheard of especially for a title sponsorship and Tim mentioned a little bit of just how much they're going to be involved with Indianapolis as a whole, but now they are the official tech partner of IndyCar, so the company, the IndyCar series, which is the actual thing that we watch on the television, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and its two biggest races, the Indy 500 and the Brickyard 400. So it's a huge sort of coming in an umbrella. They want to be a part of everything. It bodes really well for the sport. Yeah, uh, and this is a multi-year agreement too. Yes, so that was the other big thing, that normally if something comes together really quickly, it's for a let's dip our toe in the water, let's maybe do a year with an option for a second. Mm. But right off the bat, this is at least three years. Yeah, uh, and official tech partner agreements as well uh, with not just IndyCar and the IndyCar series, but a, a number of venues and events. Yeah. And, and that was another big thing that happened today that sort of felt a little bad because after the big title announcement that happened at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, the North American International Auto Show, the announcement was made today that the, the finale, the final race of the season, which is going back to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca for the first time in forever, is going to have the title, ship, title sponsorship of Firestone. And Rev Group, which is the medical group, they're going to be sponsoring the Road America round. So we're going to have a lot of big names attached to big races in IndyCar. The season has already started in terms of official testing. They're at Sebring on the short course at the moment. How's it gone? Uh, Hinch was quickest on the first day. It was all Honda, top five. And just to give you an idea of who the runners and riders were, James Hinchcliffe for SPM, Zach Veach for Andretti, uh, Sato and Ray Hall were both there for the RLL team. Uh, it was Ryan Hunter Ray. Just had a quick drive up the street uh, from his home here in Fort Lauderdale. If also for Andretti, Ed Jones and Felix Rosenquist, the rookie, getting a couple laps around the track. Uh, Marcus Erickson, another rookie, and he and Rosenquist turned almost identical times, which was pretty entertaining. Spencer Piggott, Marco Andretti, and the day before this 
official test. The track had been rented out for Sebastian Bourdais and his new teammate, but they didn't show any lap times because they were running a slightly different track configuration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's stay in the States. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 14, Episode 2. And uh, we were at the Raw a couple of weekends ago now. Uh, it pff, seems like a million years ago because I've already been to <laughs> Dubai. Uh, but we'll be there next week for a live programme. When we say live, we mean live. Uh, it'll be live from our broadcast booth overlooking the start-finish line. Looking forward to that next Wednesday. I've got to dash off straight after it to go and do the fan forum, which you did last year uh, across the road at uh, across the road from the uh, the speedway last year, and and that opens up really a whole year of excitement and uh, fan interaction because of the IMSA 50th celebrations. Yeah, and it's going to be huge this year. I've heard that there are. 14 cars going across the street to one Daytona. So if you're in the Daytona Beach area and you feel like maybe strolling around seeing some race cars, pit stop demonstrations, uh, interviews with drivers, which I know you'll be pretty excited about, John, it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's always great restaurants nearby, too. So it's a good evening to bring the kids out. Yeah, um, drivers, including, um, as you might imagine, some of the big American names, but also Fernando Alonso uh, is going to be there as well. Uh, there's about a dozen drivers coming up on stage. Uh, that is next Wednesday. So if you are making your plans to go to the Rolex 24 Daytona, uh, make sure you include Wednesday evening. It's a free event with cars on shore and drivers being talked to as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that massively. Um, at the Raw, um, particularly in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, we were short a few cars, let's be honest. We had a... Yeah. We had a a, a frankly, mildly disappointing field of 40. <laughs> I'm seeing that laughing. Please, <laughs> nobody take that seriously. Uh, an awesome field of 40, but it was nowhere near how many cars are going to take the green flag when we're live in sound and vision, what, a week on Friday for the upper yeah. round of the Michelin Pilot Challenge, uh, including, of course, the two new Brian Hurt Autosport Hyundais on that lovely Velosta N, uh, the Velosta N body shape. Yeah, we were short a fifth of the field. Didn't come to wow. the roar before the 24th. When you think about it, 49 cars are coming out for the Michelin Pilot Challenge. 35 of them in the GS class. 35. Remember a couple of years ago when we had four and some people were saying it's not going to work? It's yeah, never going to work. GT4, GT4, it's going to kill the <laughs> class. It's never going to... Uh, hello? Can I, yeah. I have some Hi, humble pie here. I have a large <laughs> slice of humble pie. It's still warm. But you can yeah. eat that right now if you want to. Damn, man. So 35 GS cars, 14 TCR. And as you rightly say, the Brian Hurd Autosport bringing their Hyundai Veloster, the NTCR car. And by the way, very funny moment this morning when I got called about car of the week and the car they were dropping off is a Veloster. So that's even better. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'll let you know how much fun that is. Mason Felipe and Harry Gottsacker in one car. They're calling that the youngster car. Although not too young because one of the drivers is my age. And Michael Lewis, who again is my age, sharing with Mark Wilkins in the sister car. That's their full season lineup. They're not running third drivers in the car for the race. They are going to be a super strong team to try and beat. Yeah. Um, as far as... BMWs are going at second car for Bimmer World. 
Yeah. They, so James Clay had this car. He just sort of was keeping it in the truck, trying to find somebody to run it. And for the Daytona round, which, remember, is the BMW Endurance Classic, so it kind of makes sense. Kaz Grala, who's a guy who's very familiar with the Daytona Speedway, he was the youngest guy to start the 24 Hours of Daytona a couple of years ago, will be sharing with Aurora Strauss. So it'll oh, be wow. a fun combination. Um, TCRs, uh, we were talking about the Veloster TCRs. Um, the fast MD Audi team are, are going to be around as well. Well, remember when we were sitting in the booth just discussing various people that weren't there and we were saying, I wonder what they're doing. Yeah. The big one of those was Nick Glant because uh, Glant was the champion from last year in the ST category. He had said to us that he was going to be doing something. He would be back in the series, and he is. An Audi TCR car that he and Canadian James Vance are going to be sharing for the full season. Jay Selinski joins them for the Daytona round, the long endurance, and possibly the other four-hour race later on in the season at Watkins Glen. Uh, also, and I'm very excited about this. Um, oh, you would be. Yes, staying with the Michelin Pilot Challenge. And remember, wherever you are, whether you're in the States or further afield, all of the Michelin Pilot Challenge, as its predecessor races, will be live in Sound Division. No blocks, no breaks. Uh, we'll be calling that race from from trackside automatic racing with three aston martins coming to daytona well first of all that's big news because they're bringing three cars but that's not even the biggest part of the story they're new they still have new car smell because they're the brand new gt4 cars so it is going to be the first time that they're running in the u.s and they are going to I'm be very fun they're still naked. Right now, they're still in white. I saw a picture of them in the shop. I think it was from two or three days ago. So they're they're still with the new car smell totally. And they'll probably still have that by the time they get to Daytona. But no matter what, they're going to be looking good. And they will be fast. Car, another couple of cars from a, a very important British manufacturer that weren't at the Raw were the were McLarens. Uh, Mia, um, same, same old, same old. Um, what about Compass? Are they coming back as well? They are. Now, remember, they've already announced that they're going to be running the Sprint Cup Challenge. So they will be in GTD, but they are still going to run the GT4 car as well. It's a slightly different driver lineup and a different number. They're running 75 instead of 76, but oh, it's Paul yeah. Holton and Kuno Whitmer who's going to be in that car for Daytona. And when you think about formidable lineups, hello. Uh, and before we leave that uh, particular championship, the Michelin Pilot Challenge, uh, LAP Honda, Tom O'Gorman, absolutely going to be one of the stars. He is a he is a qualifying demon, and uh, he's got a, uh, sort of a high profile. Is it fair to say high profile teammate? Well, Shelby Blackstock coming back to the series full time. It's been a couple of years since he ran uh, in what was the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge what is now the Michelin Pilot Challenge. So he's going to be doing a full season with Tom. But the other big news, John, is they're running three cars. The LA Honda World, they what? only had two. Yeah, they've got three. So Colin Mullen is going to be in one car. Yeah, they're bringing back uh, Mike Lamara and Matt Pombo to share a car oh, like wow. they did last year. And then the third car with Tom O'Gorman and Shelby Blackstock. That is a very strong team, and those cars yeah. look very good indeed. Put aside the problems that they had with 
tech and stuff like that. Let's let's forget that um, for the moment and and just uh, just move on. And and let's move on as we're talking to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, the word of the day is throwback liveries. Let's start at the That's beginning of the alphabet with Acura. That's two words, John. I'm not going to let you help okay. with that. Fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Acura, which in fairness, they rolled out their throwback liveries last, uh, the end of last week with a three-time championship winning livery or three championships won wearing the CompTech racing mm. livery that was donned by the Spice NXSs and X. NSX, wow, I can speak, from 1991 until 1993, the cars ran in their designs, and they look quite similar to what Acura Team Penske did last year, but one big difference is the big orange stripe on the side pod, and if you look closely at the cars, the number six, which is the one that's shared between Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya with Simon Pagano in the car for the Rolex, it has white accents on it, while the number six seven belonging to ricky elio and alexander has black looks great love that uh next in alphabetical order would be core and this is one of my very favorite throwback liveries you can't see my arms being up in the air but i'm so happy about this one john <laughs> the nissan gtp the zx turbo again three straight championships 1989 until 1991 so we've got six years covered worth of championships from these three cars Core have gone with the red, white, and blue, and oh my goodness, does it make your heart skip a beat. Both this and the Acura will be full-season throwback liveries, so we can get used to seeing the cars looking like this. But the other one that just sort of sticks out in your mind a little bit, the 1992 Rolex 24-hour winner. Doesn't look dissimilar to what Core is going to be wearing. And finalement, of the ones we know at the moment, uh, two classic Ford liveries for the Ford GTs. Motocraft is back on the number 66. The GTO Victorious Ford from 1985 at the Daytona 24 will be on that car from Joey Hand and Dirk Mueller. And then a Castrol livery, which looks a bit like Christmas for Richard Westbrook <laughs> and for Ryan Briscoe. That is going to be Daytona only with the possibility of maybe Sebring. I think there'll be a few more special ones throughout the season. John oh, Duna yeah. telling us earlier on that they're going to revisit their back catalogue as well throughout the season for Mazda. Last bit of IMSA news. Uh, we will get the Encore again, the Michelin Encore, at the end of the season. Does that make it Encore Encore? It's going to be November 8th through 10th. Again, the week before the 24 Hours of Coda. That works for me. And they're expecting to invite the same people, GT3, GT4, LMP3 and TCR. Cher, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the weather, and I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Cher Adam joining us live from Fort Lauderdale in Florida. Tim, before we go, time for a quick note from you. Final stage of the uh, Dakar Rally is tomorrow, but it looks like we know the win already uh, with Qatar's Nasser al Atiyah ah. uh, having won a third stage uh, today. Uh, he has a lead of 51 minutes and 27 seconds over Nani Roma, who was second today. Uh, Stefan Peter Hansel has now retired uh, after a crash which caused an injury to his co-driver. Uh, Alatia said, the Dakar is really difficult. Uh, in the bikes, <laughs> yes. uh, Toby Price has a 62-second lead over Pablo Quintanilla. Uh, although today's stage was claimed by Michael Mecca of France. 
And that is about all we have time for, I think, it this is. week. Uh, Tim, thank you very much for all your hard work uh, at the weekend as well. Next Robbed week... Most of it. Sorry? Robbed him most of it. Rob and Kerry, yeah. Excellent stuff. Uh, this time next week, uh, we will be live from Daytona. We'll be just wrapping up the show from our broadcast booth, overlooking the start-finish line at Daytona as we begin another year of IMSA Broadcasting. And it's a big one. It's the IMSA 50th. Uh, more broadcasting for you. More of the sessions available uh, on podcast as well and of course we'll be welcoming formally into our team Jamie welcoming back uh, Jamie and Brian into the team that's uh, Jamie Howe and Brian Till who'll be with us at various stages throughout the season hope you can join us then uh, with the most extensive coverage of the Rolex uh, 24 at Daytona meeting including the support races it's all over on IMSA radio which you'll find on RS2 in many of the sessions and including all of the developmental and support races will be live in sound and vision with no block blocks and no breaks uh, that's it uh, Tim's off to watch the football results meanwhile there's no time to explain because the llama is very excited about Asia as are you all this programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.